Hello and welcome to Pioneering People, the podcast where we explore what both makes and motivates an entrepreneur. I'm your host, Morvan McIntyre, and this week my guest is entrepreneur Nick Cousins, the founder and CEO of bereavement platform Exizent. Yeah, so Exizent is on a journey to become the UK's first bereavement platform. And if you think of what a platform does, really, it's the connection of data and services and people together in a, in a sort of uh, a wider market context. Nick has spent the past 20 years working across the financial and service sector. And in 2018, Nick founded Exizent, a business-to-business financial tech startup that aims to be the UK's first bereavement platform. Exizen aims to improve the bereavement experience connecting data, people and services together, specifically connecting the families of the bereaved, in particular the executors, legal services and institutions. It offers services that aim to reduce the burden on the executor, such as improving administrative tasks for families with assistance on verifying information. Nick talks to me about why he thinks it's timely to add technology to the bereavement sector and why he thinks his new development, in his words, is kind of cool. So today I am joined by the entrepreneur Nick Cousins, the founder of Exident. Hi Nick, how are you? I'm good, Mormon. Thanks very much. How are you? Good, thank you. So before we get into about your business and your business ventures, I'd like to go back to school and if you can cast your mind back. So you went to Hindland Secondary School. I did. What were your interests and hobbies at school? Uh, that's a really good question. It was such a long time ago. So I enjoyed school broadly. It was okay. Um, I enjoyed things outside of school, probably more than I did at school. But uh, I always had a sort of interest in business side of things and entrepreneurship, even even at that stage. One of the things I enjoyed most at school was the sort of young enterprise schemes and setting up little businesses inside school. The rest of it, I was broadly uh, unenamored with, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed things like young enterprise. I enjoyed some of the more extracurricular things. A bit of sport and just uh, doing other teenage things, really. After school, you studied business administration at the University of Bath. So what interested you about business and were you then interested in business from an early age? Yeah, definitely. As I said, that that was um, some of the things I enjoyed doing at school were some of the, the more project entrepreneurial type uh, type things. And I chose that course really because it was very broad. It covered a lot of subjects. And uh, at that stage, I wasn't entirely clear what I wanted to do with my life. But the uh, the course at Bath was uh, a, a fairly well-known, well-established course. And it also offered two six-month work placements throughout the, uh, the degree, which I was really interested in and indeed found hugely valuable um, throughout that process of one one at the end of the first year at uni you were sent out to work and one of the uh, second half of third year and that that really um, excited me it was interesting to me that you could go and get some practical experience alongside obviously learning a bunch of different interesting um, subjects and gave me a chance to kind of think about what I really wanted to do when I when I left and and move on into the, the working world. You graduated in 1997 so you talked a little bit there about your aspirations, but did you have any further aspirations after graduation? Did you have in mind maybe what sector you wanted to go into? Um, honestly, no, not really. Uh, the, the, the 
course I gave gave us exposure to all sorts of different things. And in the nineties, it was the done thing to go and get yourself onto a, a grad program at a, a big company. That's just this is all still pre tech boom. So the concept of digital, exciting tech startups didn't really exist. That came a few years after I'd graduated. So the the expectation I think at the time was to go and take all that university education and put it to good use in a in a good grad program where you could get training and it was some structured program of learning in a big, well established company. Not not everybody did that obviously, but that was very much the sort of standard path and I, I definitely followed that. You ended up working initially in the financial industry. So what drew you particularly to that industry? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I, I did around 20 years in the financial services world on and off uh, before, I, before I started my latest venture. And I really went into that because uh, not knowing an awful lot about it, to be honest, but I, I got a, an interview at JP Morgan and I went along. I was pretty clear I wasn't going to work for a bank and I wasn't going to live in London and ended up doing both of those things, partly because uh, the interview was interesting. The people I met were fun. It seemed like a great environment. They had a good plan for what they wanted to do with you. And it was an opportunity to, to learn. And uh, JP Morgan at the time was a pretty glamorous investment banking institution. And as I said, I didn't really know much about it, but the the plan was to to go into the infrastructure kind of program. So you learned a lot about operations and technology and how a business was run front to back. Uh, it hinted at the promise of perhaps going and being a trader at some point, which I, I quickly understood I didn't want to do. Uh, but that was that was the allure. And going, moving to London was good fun. I enjoyed that whole experience and learned a lot about life uh, moving to London as a 21-year-old. So that was that was probably behind it. But no no other great I guess, insight into the financial services world that made me say that's definitely for me, but it was just a, it was a good overall package for someone leaving university at that time. You mentioned there that you had the 20 years in that industry mm. and you held a number of roles at large financial institutions, including Barclays. So what did you learn from those experiences working in those financial institutions and what did you gain from that that helped you then become an entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, Distilling 20 years down into uh, what, what did I learn most is, is quite, I've been thinking about that, it's quite tricky to, to say, but there, you know, I did a lot of really interesting roles, worked for some really interesting people in, in those 20 years across a number of big organizations. And I guess I learned how to look at a business from front to back, which was uh, really helpful for me when I thought about setting up my own stuff. I learned about uh, I guess the the power of good communication and clarity of communication. So setting out um, really clear visions and purpose and and um, I, I guess views on where you want to go was was important. And I learned a lot of that from really good people who were excellent communicators, good leaders who, who set the tone. And working in big enterprises is obviously very different to working in a startup, but some of the the same challenges exist. You've got to create the right environment create good teams, you've got to think about customers, you've got to think about roadmaps, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it was, it was. I moved from role to role. I was in financial services a lot longer than I was expecting, but people kept giving me interesting things to do. And eventually I got to the point where I thought I'd learned enough and knew enough that I could make a success of, of uh, my own ventures. I actually did do something in the middle of that 20 years, but I, I realized quickly I didn't really know what I was doing at that point. Uh, but no, it was a great grounding, but it, it 
really wasn't until a few years ago that I thought, yeah, I, I'm confident enough that I can go out and take what I've learned and put it into, into good practice. So you touched on that kind of taking from your corporate life and, you know, taking those skills and you then decided to set up a business. So where did you get the inspiration to set up Excident and what gave you the motivation to start that? Yeah, so so Excident really came about because when I left Barclays, I did I did nine years at Barclays, loved it there, really, really good time. But I, I felt ready to go and build a business that had a real clear sense of purpose and actually made a bit of a difference to the world. And when I left, I spent a bit of time thinking about areas I might go and explore and areas that might benefit from a bit of innovation, some new thinking, smart technology. And I, I came back to bereavement as an area I wanted to go and try and make a difference in for a number of reasons. One, because we've been through it as a family a couple of times and friends of mine have, have unfortunately lost partners of theirs early and just seeing all the, the, the pain and hassle that really is brought upon people trying to deal with administration of death. I thought, well, that looks like something that we could make a bit of a difference to. Um, and also, it feels like an area, or it felt like an area at the time that the, the 21st century hadn't really reached in terms of data access and some of the, the digitization of things that are obviously more prevalent elsewhere, and an opportunity to bring some sort of platform technology to bear in in this market. So the the, the purpose is really clear for our business. It's to try and make bereavement easier for everyone. But it, it really felt like an area that I didn't know an awful lot about from a technical perspective, but have, as I say, been, been through the process and it felt like something that we can make a bit of a difference to. And uh, you touched on it a bit there, but can you explain for anyone who doesn't know what Exident does and who your customers are? Yeah, so Exident is on a journey to become the UK's first bereavement platform, right? And if you think of what a platform does, really, it's the connection of data and services and people together in a in a sort of uh, a wider market context, and we are building a platform to connect three groups of people together better. And they're the three core groups that are involved in um, in a bereavement. So that's the uh, family of the of the bereaved. So usually the executor, probably we're talking about here. So the person charged with uh, administering an estate. The legal services firms that that person might turn to to help them with that estate execution. Now, not everybody does that, but a, a decent chunk of the market does that. And then the third leg of the triangle is really the institutions that hold all of the data. So that's the banks, the building societies, insurance companies, investment companies. So all the, the key kind of financial data that goes into the administration of the estate. So if you think of that triangle, we are sitting ourselves in the middle of that and building technology to connect the data and the people and the services around that together better. And over time, we want that to become an industry utility that everybody leans on and uses um, when they're considering the, the, kind of the processes around, around bereavement. And it has many legs to it and we'll, we'll build more and more stuff into it as we, as we go. With it being a business-to-business proposition at the moment, how will that in turn help those who are grieving? So if you had to break it down, how does that then work? Yeah, so we, we are starting with the sort of, as you say, the business to business. So connecting the legal services firms, we're building um, a, a platform for them to manage uh, estate execution more effectively and connecting that through to the institutions that hold the data. 
and over time we will um, bring things to bear for the executors to use but we're starting there because they those two groups the, the legal services firms and the institutions know how this works uh, really intimately right they're involved in it day to day so they understand the data flows and everything else and all the pitfalls that go go with it our first set of products is really to is to better link those two things together but ultimately reduce the burden on the executor for finding information digging stuff up you know bringing paper through to the, the lawyers to, to deal with. So we're looking in the first instance to reduce the amount of time and effort that the executor needs to spend going through all that um, administrative process. And then over time, once we once we figured out how that all works properly and we've made improvements, we can think about stuff that might be put into the hands of the executor to take more control over that themselves. But we're quite a, we're a believer in the role of uh, professional services to help people at a time of need. And this is, Definitely that's one of those moments. So after you, you know, have an idea, what's the process then of getting that product or service to market, you know, in terms of funding, hiring people, you yeah, mentioned yeah. the platform. So what were those stages like for you and, and how did you go about that? Yeah. So one of the, I guess one of the big things that I, I learned during my time at Barclays, uh, particularly was the the importance of taking a service design-led approach to things you're trying to build and develop and bring to market. And what, what does that mean? That means spending a good amount of time upfront, really understanding the problems that you think you're trying to solve or proving that the problems you think you're trying to solve are actual problems. So we, we spent probably six months uh, looking at the whole market, really trying to test out some concepts, look at things, uh, from different perspectives and really validate the, the sort of initial hypothesis that we had around the need for a platform and the fact that a platform could do some good in this space were true. So that that to me is a really vital first step in uh, in any, uh, I guess, new venture is to spend some time, a good amount of time, really understanding it and designing it properly from a consumer perspective and validating things. And so we, we did a lot of that and that that helps in turn build confidence when you're going to find uh, initial money that you can you're actually tackling something where there's a real need and that you can show that the product you're proposing actually meets that need so that was that was step one right so step one was that and as i say we, we were quite fortunate in that we, we managed to get some seed capital together to go and do some of that work which is then grown into the next rounds of funding um, to take us into the future but i i started this with myself and some outsourced help so a, a service design agency in fact um sarah who you you've interviewed previously at, at nile she helped us on that that journey and we outsourced some of the initial technology work and once we were comfortable that we had a plan and that was was valid we then set off on the journey of recruiting and building a team building a product and building the market and that's really been what our, our journey has been through the latter stages of 2019 and into 2020 and building your team is is a huge part of this process. Now, not everybody you bring in on day one is necessarily going to be with you in years to come, but you, you need to find a bunch of people who believe in the purpose of what you're doing, and that's that's really key. Articulating your purpose up front and being true to that is, is vital, and I think that helps in recruitment. We also made a decision really early on to insource our recruitment. So we have some a, a couple of great people helping us find the, the people in the market who we think would 
create a great team. And we've really invested a lot of time in that. And it's been a, a sort of iterative process. We, we add more people, we, we get the product out to market. We've done a lot, of, a lot of user testing along the way, which is vital. So you, you keep checking in with your um, potential customers that what you're building is still valuable. We have a, a group of uh, users who have been with us on that journey, which has been amazing. And they're, they're total heroes to us because they've, they've given us time out of their days to, to test our product. And, and those are the steps we've, we've been through. And it's, it's not simple. It's not easy. And there's lots of routes you go down where you need to sort of change direction and come back and rethink. But it's all part of that sort of iterative process. But I, I go back to really starting and maintaining that service design-led approach to, to everything that we do is the only way I can see us being successful. I just picked up there on the fact that you talked about the tech side of the business, which is obviously what you're innovating in, you're innovating in the bereavement sector using mm-hmm. technology. So are you yourself, you know, are you quite into technology and, and the fact that you'll be designing the product or you mentioned outsourcing or were you getting other people in to help with that? Because I think a lot of people, they do often have ideas around tech, but they're not quite sure how to maybe execute that and go about it. So were Definitely. you someone who was techie by nature or were you just sort of had an idea and then helped get people around you that could help you build it? Uh, definitely the latter. So I, I'm not a techie. I, I understand the basics and I, you know, I'm familiar enough with the language, but I'm not a technologist. So one of our key early hires was our head of engineering, John, who's, who's come in and he's building a great team, but he brings that technical know-how and rigor. I don't think you have to be a technologist to be a start to you know, form a startup these days. It's, it's fine to have an idea and a concept, but you've got to bring in the people who know how to do that. And I've obviously my, my co-founder, Alex, he has a technology background. He's, he's built some of these businesses himself in the past. Together, we're a, we're a reasonable combination, but you, you, you definitely need to know how much you don't know and find the people who can help you in that in that process. Most businesses these days, certainly startup scale with scale up ambitions are going to have a heavy technology focus. So it's, it's inevitable. Um, so you need to find the person who can help you through that journey, get some advice, outsource it to begin with. You know, you can, you can find uh, agencies and, and other people who can help you in the, in the early stages, get some of the foundations in place. But I, I would say, you know, having a, a good technology partner is, is absolutely vital if you're not a technologist yourself, which I am certainly not yeah so that's good to know and I think like you said if you have the idea there's no reason why you can't find the right people to help you build that product and it's about a collab a collaboration yeah and so another thing is that the bereavement sector is quite traditional so up until now it hasn't had a lot of modern innovation so why did you decide to innovate in the bereavement sector well partly partly for that that reason also because it was an interesting area to me. It's sort of new to me and it's a, a good challenge. But I do think there is there's opportunity to bring some of the things that we we actually all interact with in our day-to-day lives elsewhere um, in terms of platform technology into this into this space. You think of travel booking, you think of shopping, you think of all these other things where actually platform type models have come to come to the fore and really generated value and benefit for lots of people. I think that's definitely the case in the in the bereavement sector. That's the benefit of a platform. You, you, 
run non-value-added tasks at scale to bring down the cost and, and, and uh, make it more efficient. And that's what that's definitely what we're trying to do. So repetitive tasks where you're not really adding value, you're just taking time. They're the things that uh, I think are are available to us to go after in this in this space. It struck me that it wasn't really being done, and there's lots of interesting bits of technology in the legal legal tech space, if you want to call it that. But I think we're we're trying to do something uh, at a, a scale that's not been done yet. What then do you think are the opportunities and challenges of operating in a new space that isn't yet a saturated market? Yeah. So it's a very new space. So yeah, what what opportunities and challenges does that bring? So I think the opportunity is to come at this with no legacy. So we don't have a you know an existing business model that we need to change to do stuff. We don't have existing technology that we need to alter to to do it. We're coming at this fresh. Um, so we bring some different perspectives to things and we don't have any market bias. We, we're able to approach it with a fresh pair of eyes, a clean slate, so we can build modern technology to, to make the difference. So that, that's definitely the opportunity. And what we recognize in the bereavement space in particular is it's very fragmented and there's lots of stakeholders, lots of people involved. Um, and none of those groups necessarily feel totally empowered to make a difference. So we, we feel that we can sort of sit ourselves in the middle listen to what's going on, listen to people, solve problems for people, and make a bit of a difference. The, the challenge is, obviously, we're, we are, we're trying something pretty ambitious. It, it's going to require the whole kind of industry to get on side with what we're doing for us to really bring the, the sort of scale benefits that we want. As I said, there are many people involved, many different stakeholders, many different interests that you need to kind of work your way through and, and around. Um, and because it is dealing with a sensitive subject because you're dealing with data, financial matters as well. The the devil is all in the detail. So we need to make sure that we are taking our time and, and being careful, talking to the right people and not making assumptions about how things work because uh, there's there's always going to be stuff under the under the surface which uh, which can derail you if you get it wrong. And particularly around how we how we access and treat and manage data that's a huge thing these days that everybody has to be conscious of again we we, we feel that by taking a service design led approach to stuff where you're actually engaging with the market talking to people and not just assuming that can really help but if you had to say specifically in what way are you changing and developing in the bereavement sector yeah so i i think for us we are trying to open access to to data that's really one of the most fundamental things to reduce the time uh, it takes to discover things, validate things, check things, improve that overall process. So that's probably the, the main area where we're, we are focused. There are all sorts of other interesting avenues for us to explore later around all the other kind of connected services into this space that we think are really interesting um, around you know, connecting uh, things like uh, surveyors into this model so you can get house house valuations done more quickly connecting them to the funeral directors market to help people you know build and get things done quickly so there are all lots of legs to this which we're quite excited about um, but really it's it's as i say the innovation is going to come through how we are connecting things together to create a, a sort of platform environment where the the speed and accuracy and cost benefits come through for for everybody so we, we think there's a sort of win-win for all all parts of the model 
So the business obviously aims to take the burden off those who are grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a social enterprise. So then how would you describe the business model? So, yeah, it's not it's not a social enterprise. It has a good societal purpose, I think, but it's not a social enterprise. So this is from a business model. It's very much a sort of SaaS platform, so software as a service through to the, the users. And we would be expecting to sort of commercially bring that to bear through bringing that SaaS model into the legal services world and into the institutional world, not to executors. That's not how we see, see the world. We're, we're trying to position it as a model that people are more and more comfortable with these days. So SaaS models are fairly prevalent in every aspect of our lives in some way. Um, so that's how, we are, that's how we're approaching it. And this kind of comes up a lot now around businesses and it's, it's really important. So in what ways do you aim to make your business sustainable? Yeah, that's a really good question. The and sustainability is a really broad phrase. Actually, it needs you know people are very articulate now about all the different aspects of sustainability. So our our primary aim is to build a well-run business that is around for a long time that people can rely on that creates sustainable jobs, sustainable services, makes a difference long term. So it's we're not here to be a three or four year enterprise that then disappears where we're here for uh, the duration we hope so there's a, a clear sustainability angle in terms of the jobs that we create and the services that we perform uh, we're also digitizing a part of life that is still quite heavily paper dependent so there's a lot of paper and manual processes still involved in this market which we're hoping to improve so there's a there's definitely a an environmental impact in what we are what we are trying to do but i think for for us it's 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 trying to be a well-run business that does the right things to be around for the long term and so the investment that people are putting into this the time we're putting into it uh, and the benefits we're hoping to bring are long-term benefits that, that make a difference so that's that's how i think about it yeah and i think um like you mentioned sustainability is a very broad word and it's used quite loosely nowadays so it mm. is important to define exactly in what way you're trying to be sustainable and be honest and transparent in that fact yes that's a good point to raise and I think as well another question that a lot of people will be wondering is you know with the pandemic we're now in September but you know with everything <laughs> that's gone on how has that affected your business if it has oh it's definitely impacted as I say I'd say we are relatively fortunate in that we were quite early in our journey when the pandemic hit. We didn't have to instigate huge operational change. There weren't that many of us at the time. But I think the biggest impact for us has been recruiting. So we've we've been heavily recruiting this year and we've done all of that. The vast majority of that we've we've done over video. We've onboarded them on video and they're now working as part of a virtual team. And that I think we've done a really good job in that. It, you know, our, as I said at the beginning, we invested time in our in-house recruitment team, and they have been great helping us find the people who are comfortable working in that environment. But we're we're relatively fortunate in that all of our, I guess, infrastructure or our technology, the way we're set up, has uh, has been there from the beginning, and it's lent itself to a fairly seamless transition to fully remote working. That though will start to become more challenging the more people you add you know you want to foster a really good sense of team you want everyone to feel part of that journey we work really hard on trying to do that but the more 
who you have, the more difficult that is. So uh, we're we're all itching to at least be able to get back into the office that uh, that we do have that we kitted out and had ready two days before lockdown, which was our major frustration. But at least we you know we have somewhere to go back to in whatever form of working model we choose uh, when when we're able to. Why do you think there's an environment for accident now? So I think there's a number of things at play which make it the right time to to do this. One is the market around legal services is very similar to other professional services market. There's a cost pressure, there's a revenue pressure, there's a client service expectation that's increasing. You know, people are get frustrated when stuff doesn't happen quickly or there's no transparency and they can't you know, see how things are going. So I think there are a number of similar pressures in the in the legal world and in the bereavement sector in particular that make it right for something to help in that space. Also, over the last you know five to ten years, there's been a big movement towards more open data, businesses built on APIs, so more more easy to consume software and ways of connecting things together. That's a big I guess technology change that is becoming quite is more commonplace now. So one of the other big things that we are passionate about is the the drive for open banking and all the other things that are starting to happen out there, but actually getting people aware of the need to have those things available for for bereavement use cases. You know, those are those are really helpful things to have. So if I can access data in a standardized form in all these financial institutions, then actually there's a there's a huge opportunity to make a difference. So we're trying to lead the charge on some of the conversations around how we do that sort of stuff as well. So the, the regulatory change around data is another you know, big area for us. So I think those three things combined make it a, a good time to try and do something in this space. And I think as well, going back to an earlier point that you mentioned about your business um, having a social purpose, mm. you know, and having that sort of purpose-led culture. So how do you then build the right culture in in that environment and and make sure that your staff are on the same page as you in terms of what the business is out to achieve? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So we we spend a lot of time talking about our purpose. It it's very central to a lot of our decision making, which is key. We've also spent uh, we spend a lot of time talking to potential recruits about that as well. So it's very central to our discussions about how we position the business so everybody who comes to work for XSN is entirely clear on why we are here. We try and not overburden ourselves at this point as a you know still a young company with too many measures and checks, but we we have embraced OKRs, so objectives and key results, and we try and make sure that those goal setting that goal setting process also aligns ourselves to our our purpose and to our values so that we can you know we have a regular check in against against that as well which is which is a learning process that we're going through and that's, that seems to be working quite well we make that that purpose really visible uh, it's you know say part of our discussions all the time it's part of our decision making process that we can check back to say you know in our product roadmap that the next thing on there does that actually help bring that purpose to to life does it deliver on that so there's all, all sorts of things you can do but you you need to live it and it needs to be prevalent in 
all of your kind of day-to-day -day stuff as much as you can and not just be something that you you write for a, a slogan and then leave behind and you know now edinburgh's become the fintech capital in scotland and it's become quite an attractive sector to work in it's seen as cool and Mm -hmm. But this wasn't, you know, always the case. At one time, technology was seen as quite geeky. So how do you think the fintech sector has evolved over the years? And why do you think there are changing perceptions around this industry? As with many things, it, it helps that there are kind of visible role models for technology around around the world. You know, they're, they're most of the, the people who are certainly from a business perspective are entirely at the forefront that we've all lived through. So Steve Jobs and Bezos and Elon Musk and Bill Gates going a bit further back. They've all created hugely successful businesses with massive brand appeals, come at things in a different way. It's it's kind of exciting. And I think that that really helps put the technology discipline, I guess, uh, at the, the forefront of things. And you can, going back to some of the stuff we talked about earlier, you know, the ability to make change happen really quickly is it's kind of cool and the ability to disrupt existing business models through technology is kind of cool and i think that's that creates a great environment to go and work in it's it's challenging we are a sort of fully agile business or we've worked our way towards being a fully agile business which means your technology teams and your design teams and, and everyone else actually work really closely together and it's a sort of multi-disciplined approach to things so also i think you're the the technology team is much closer and a more integral part of the business decision making and everything else that goes on with running the business. It's not a case of some other group goes and writes a bunch of stuff, hands it to a bunch of technologists in the background to build and then comes back to the, the front. That just isn't the way it works anymore. So I think the, the opportunity to take your technology skill set and blend it with other things is really interesting and, and probably makes it, uh, I, I would hope, a sort of exciting place to go and work. And in your opinion, what is the role for fintech, legal tech companies going forward? So, so I think the, the, the role is to be innovators and to be challenging and to continue to, to explore different things. I think the boundaries between those delineations are, are probably going to blur um, more and more. So more business. If you look at how many things are pure fintech plays anymore, I don't know. There's, there's a sort of recognition i think you've got to think about the, the thing more broadly whether it's the legal world the regulatory world consumer world you know they all they all start to blend together and and expectations are consumer expectations i'm not sure anyone as a consumer comes and says i like that because it's a fintech you know you're coming at it because it's solves a solves a problem or delivers you some value in a way that, that you're looking for so the, the role is absolutely to continue that path of breaking down existing business models, finding new ways to do things. Um, but we, we've got to get smart about how we deploy the investment capital that's available out there to, to do things and not just, I guess, repeat the same things over and over again. You know, we're going to really make sure we're, we're finding valuable ways to do stuff. Just to have a fun section to close the interview on, there's just going to be three questions here and you just have to say in your own words how you would finish the sentence so the first one is is the best part of being an entrepreneur is the best part of being an entrepreneur is really the opportunity to carve your own path build a great team but you know it's it's your 
responsibility. The, it, it's your chance to to make something that you believe in, and that that I think is the best best part. And the worst part of being an entrepreneur is it's rare that you get opportunity to stop thinking about it, which is fine. But it, you know, because it's essentially your your idea coming to fruition, rarely do you get a chance to turn off full time job. Absolutely, and absolutely. then some. And finally, entrepreneurship means to me taking a bit of risk, believing in yourself, uh, believing in the people around you, and going after something that you think can make a difference in the world. Well, thank you very much, Nick. It was great chatting to you today. And it was great to hear how you're doing some really innovative things in the bereavement sector. And no doubt it will shape um, how bereavement is dealt with in the future and for the better as well. Well, we hope so. Thanks for your time, Morgan. Good to speak to you. What a fascinating chat that was with Nick about Exocent's role in transforming the traditional bereavement space. My next guest is Georgia Stewart, the founder of ethical investment business Tumalo. We will be taking a short one-week break, so the next episode will go live on the 13th of January. See you next time, and if you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast. If you want to comment on the podcast, you can reach out to me on Twitter, where I'm at Morvin McIntyre. Pioneering People is a laudable production and is available wherever you get your podcasts. But for exclusive, interactive and immersive content, you can download the Entail app. Thank you.